Welcome back to another episode of Next Level Minds. I wanted to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. If this is your first time tuning in to Next Level Minds, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I sit down with a qualified guest and go through their story of how they got from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Today's topic is success by going against the grain through real estate. I'm blessed to be sitting down with my good friend, Parker LeClaire, who has absolutely exploded the real estate market in Charleston, South Carolina. Parker has brought in over 100K in commissions, bought an income-producing property that nets 2K a month, and he is one of the top 10% real estate agents in all of Charleston. He's a very inspirational guy, but in light of all those accomplishments, he's had some pretty big failures, such as getting kicked out of high school, failing his real estate exam twice, had to work some odd jobs to keep going, but all his accomplishments he did before he was 22 years old. So he's got a very uh, interesting story that uh, is really going to really open everyone's eyes, and I'm confident that he will bring a ton of value today. And thank you guys again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Parker, I wanted to uh, personally thank you for, for taking the time to uh, sit on the Next Level Minds podcast. I know I'm in Charleston, South Carolina right now, so thanks for letting me into your office and, and doing this thing, so I'm really excited. Yeah, th- thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it and um, absolutely love the pod. I'm excited to be on here. Yep, definitely, definitely. So based on that uh, introduction that, that I gave earlier about some accomplishments and, and failures you've had, um, what do you want all the listeners out there to know about you? Um, what I want the listeners to know is that I'm just a person that genuinely cares about people, helping them improve and helping them, you know, seek out and accomplish their goals. And, you know, what, what, whatever way I can do to help somebody, whatever value I can bring to somebody, I'm going to do it. I try the thing that I try to do in real estate sales is I always try to give more value than I collect in, um, payment Mm. or compensation. Just so people, I, I want, I want people when they work with me, I want them to feel like they're better educated and they can make smart real estate decisions, and you know they're 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 smarter at the end of the process, and mm. also that they're I want I want raving fans. Mm. So um, that's what I would want people to know about me. I also want them to know that um, I've been around real estate since I was five years old. Mm. Um, I was a really crazy kid. Um, my mom didn't really want to take care of me on the weekend, so she'd put me in the car with my dad. We'd load up um, like a cooler with some snacks, juice boxes, and whatever. Uh, we would go look at investment properties, and that's kind of where I got my start and my dad was kind of explaining to me like, Hey, this is why I'm like going out and buying these things. This is what the purpose is. And like one day you'll, you'll really understand and own some investment properties of your own. Um, I mean, that's what I want people to know about me that I, pretty much my entire life is I've always been around real estate and this is my favorite thing in the world. Mm. So would you say that's what initially got you into this field is looking at those houses at such a young age or, um, that's what got me interested in owning property what got me into the actual sales side of it is i was 16 years old uh i had like a bad knee injury and i was just had a really bad attitude towards school so i was just wheeling myself around a like 5,000 student high school and couldn't really get to my classes wasn't really happy with where i was at in life and basically i i got pretty much kicked out of school because mm-hmm. of it. Like my, my grades were terrible. I, my attendance was terrible. My attitude was just poor. Um, 
And my dad just pulled me out um, and he said, listen, you know, we're going to do this online school thing. You're going to wake up every day at 5 a.m. and be, we're going to be in the office by 545. We're going to turn the lights on. We're gonna, I'm going to debrief you throughout the day on what activities I want you to work on for me. And, you know, we're going to squeeze some time in there so you can do your online school. But we're, we're going we're gonna to get you on the path of real estate. And um, I basically mentioned to him that, that that's what I wanted to do anyways. Mm-hmm. And it basically expedited my process. It saved me two years of suffering through high school. And I just got right into, you know, getting my nose bloody, doing all the real estate related activities. Like I was showing homes for his clients. I was pushing paperwork to the closing table so he can take on more deals. Mm-hmm. And I was getting compensated fairly for it. And it got me a boatload of experience, and that's basically how I sort of got thrusted into the sales aspect of it. Right. So let's go back a little bit. Um, you know, I'll probably admit you and I were both, you know, fairly idiots in, in high school. Absolutely. Uh, so, so what was like your shift of having the bad attitude to experiencing some failures to just not wanting to be there to turning that attitude more into positive light? I'm going to give all the credit to my dad mm-hmm. because I, I just thought that I wasn't meant to succeed. I had a really mm-hmm. bad outlook on life and thought, and I, I played the why me card all the time and blamed all my problems and made excuses and things that were completely out of my control. I would just like put all the blame on that. And my dad basically just was like, Hey, no, we're not doing this anymore. You're not going to see your friends anymore. You're not going to be doing the things that you were doing before, you know, hanging out with the bad crowds, doing drugs, whatever. You know, you're going to, you're going to focus solely on real estate and eventually you're going to get used to it and you're going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So when you had that conversation with your dad, was it, I don't want to listen to you. It was uh, basically like, or were you open-minded to the situation? uh, It was basically like he wheeled me out into the car, uh, lifted me up into the car because, you know, I had the knee injury Mm -hmm. and basically like. Slammed the door. He was really upset with me that he had to pull me out of school. Mm. And he was just, you know, probably swore at me a few times. It was quiet for about 10 minutes. Right. Then it was like, okay, here's the plan. And you listen very closely and don't say anything. You don't Mm. have a choice. Mm. So were you experiencing at that time more of like a lack of confidence in your potential success? or I thought that I was just meant to be like a pizza delivery guy or meant to like shovel dirt or Mm. just, you know, do something that was, you know not no brain activity just something that was all manual or something right you know be an employee of somebody else that's how i always envisioned myself Mm. until you know i started gaining confidence through going to the office communicating with people building rapport with other adults learning how to communicate with other professionals i mean that was a huge thing for me so would you say that you earned your confidence through more experience rather than just studying the craft or yeah it's i i think with anything, I mean, you, mm-hmm. you say skateboarding, basketball, surfing, whatever activity you're doing, 90% of the confidence you're going to gain is by doing the activity itself, failing at it, getting back up, mm-hmm. dusting yourself off and trying again, mm-hmm. because eventually you're going to get the repetition down. You're going to know how to do it better than anyone else. Yeah. So what advice would you have out there for somebody who, cause you know, we all go through ruts in our life, right? Absolutely. I've been through some, you've been through some might be going through one now, but what advice do you have out there for somebody who's in a rut and they just don't feel confident in their potential success that they can reach? Um, I want to encourage them to just keep sight of where you want to go. Um, don't ever give up. Mm-hmm. Don't ever give up. I mean, there's been so many times in my first couple of years of real estate that I broke down to tears, mm. told myself I couldn't do it anymore, that I didn't have what it takes. 
And I just kept saying, Hey, you know, just, just, just one more week, just one more month, mm. you know, don't quit. You, you just, just squeak by this month. You're going to make something happen. Mm -hmm. So my advice is just like, literally don't ever get up and don't be, I mean, don't ever give up. Don't ever be afraid to fail. Like, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to like completely mess up and fall on your face because most of us, you know, listening to this podcast, we're between the age of 20 and 30. I mean, that's right. a pretty ripe young age. You have the time to be able to fall on your face and falling on your face is a valuable lesson mm -hmm. and you're going to get back up. And the more times you fall on the, your face, the more knowledge and experience you're going to get and the more confidence you will gain over time. So as long as you don't give up and continue being okay with falling on your face until like you hit that next breakthrough, you're going to make it right straight up. The dream, the dream never dies if you don't give up on it. Mm, that's so true. And I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of people out there, they, they do have great dreams, but they never fully finish what they're starting. Um, and I think something that really helps kind of piggybacking off what you mentioned is not only having the attitude of never giving up, but also surrounding yourself with people that are pushing you. So Absolutely. Your dad influenced you. Um, I mean, even when I was... Uh, at Clemson, you know, it was a hard school. I barely got out of high school, so I didn't have the educational background to do well at Clemson. So I yeah. had to put five times as much effort. There was a lot of times where I just felt like quitting, but, you know, I was surrounded by people who were pushing me to, like, finish what I started. So Absolutely. I mean, surrounding yourself with good leadership and mentorship early on, mm -hmm. having people that, you know, are going to continue pushing you when you don't want to mm -hmm. go any further that's going to carry you. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have good leadership and mentorship straight up. I didn't do this on my own. Mm. So with mentors and leadership, that's a really big question I want to ask. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people our age, they, they strive to find a mentor. Do you think that that's going out just like randomly messaging people or does it kind of just come naturally based on experiences that you're doing? It's a combination of both. Okay. But, um, you know, I, I basically what I would encourage the listeners to do is whatever craft or whatever field you're in, go find that guy, go find one guy that's in the position of where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Go talk to him, ask him about his habits. What does his schedule look like? What time is he waking up? What is he doing when he mm -hmm. wakes right when he wakes up? What is he doing right before he closes out for the day? Ask him all of his habits. Don't ask him for like any of his time or their money. Just ask him like, listen, all I want to know is your habits and you know, what, routine you're sticking to to get you to where you're going because mm -hmm. i want to follow it and you know most of the people they're going to be flattered that you actually reach out to them yeah and they're going to want to help you yeah Man, that's a really good point i know uh one of my friends and colleagues he was actually on the podcast earlier mm -hmm. um paul day he uh he spoke to the ceo of wells fargo when he used to work there when he was in corporate america and the one question he asked instead of anything about wells fargo he said what books do you read right now and what habits are in your daily routine? Absolutely. And people laughed at him that he didn't ask anything different, but you know, he did learn from that. So that's a really good point. Um, let's definitely walk through. So like you have this conversation with your father, you know, kind of sets you straight. What was that timeline of, was that around 16 years old that that happened? It was, um, October 27th of 2012. I yep. remember the exact date. Wow. Um, so what's that timeline kind of high level overview from, that moment to kind of maybe a year back to where you are now? Um, basically, from that timeline, I spent about from that October to, you know, summer of 2014, mm -hmm. kind of working in that real estate office and doing mm -hmm. my online school work. As soon as I got the certificate of graduating, I basically knew right away where I was going. I went right down to the real estate school of Charleston, cut them a check, got enrolled immediately. Mm -hmm. 
I did all the steps I possibly could take. Um, the pitfall that I kind of fell into was I got very complacent after schooling, mm-hmm. after the real estate school. I kind of was just working odd jobs and screwing around and told myself, oh, I'll start at the beginning of the year. That's not something that I would encourage anyone to do. Because if you sit around, too too often when you sit around and you have a goal you want to accomplish and you're just sitting around stewing, talking about it instead of actually putting action towards it, you're just going to continue to sit around and procrastinate and nothing's going to get done. Mm. And I literally, there's a period of about five months from where I finished the real estate school at Charleston to like where I was actually taking the test just because I was just stewing around working odd jobs, not even sure if like I'd had what it took. Yeah. And I could have spent those five months just doing it, failing the test and getting right back up and like eventually getting into real estate a lot sooner and then getting my nose bloody a lot sooner. Mm. Mm. So don't just like, don't just sit around on your goals. Like you got to take action towards it right now. I mean, if you just keep having meetings and conversations and, you know, just keep sitting down and thinking about it, nothing will ever get done. You actually have to get up and put tangible work in to see a result. Mm. How do you think you get over complacency? Because that's something I think we all struggle with, honestly. Um, You just tell yourself, you know, time's going by. Time's Mm. ticking. We only have so many ticks left on our like biological (laughs) clock before we're not here anymore. Um, if you think of it like that, you're going to start moving. Yeah. You're going to think, wow, okay, the clock's ticking. I'm on the clock right now as we're talking right now. Mm. You know, I need to get my butt to work. Mm-hmm. And you can't get that time back. Yeah, you can't. No, t- time's the only thing that you can't purchase back. So, yeah. um, like don't sleep in on your goals. You need to wake up. You need to go get it right now. If you want it, I mean, you got to literally put the action towards it today. You mm-hmm. can't just... Keep talking to your mom and dad. Say, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, I'm just going to stay here in my comfort zone. Like, no, go out and get your nose bloody. Go fail a few times because you're going to be ahead of the curve, even with those failures, because you already have the experience. Mm, that's so true. I think we live in a world right now of I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Not I'm doing this. I'm doing yeah. that. So when I talk to people, hey, I'm growing this company. I'm starting this book. I'm doing this. I'm like, well, don't tell me. Show me the results when you finish yeah. it because I'd like to see that. Um, and it's tough to take that next step. So I know I wanted to touch on this too. You failed your real estate exam. Was that twice? Or? Yeah, that's twice. And I missed, um, I passed the uh, state exam, which is actually the harder exam. Um, I passed that on my first go. And then the, um, national exam, I failed twice and I failed it by two questions each time. Wow. And that was very hard. I mean, after that second time, I like broke down into tears and I like sat in the parking lot for probably like 30 minutes, Mm. just like feeling sorry for myself and like wanting to give up. And I like, you know, went home with my tail between my legs. Um, And then, you know, I got home, still had tears on my face and I was just like telling my parents I quit. And they kind of were like, no. We didn't invest this much time in you. We didn't like just burn the last two years for you to just quit. Mm. You need to get back there and take it a third time. So I waited probably another month mm-hmm. because I really wanted to make sure that I nailed every single question on this test. Um, I studied my butt off like, and I'm not like a studious person. I'm definitely like, didn't have good study habits in high school. And then, you know, that's obviously a reflection of the grades that I got. But um, yeah, yeah, I went back there. I passed it on my, you know, Third try, and I'd say within a month from that, it was like the beginning of 2015, I had hung my license. Mm. So, Wow. When you, uh, was there a lot of nervousness going into 
the time that you took it that you passed or was it because it's all that pressure right question um I would say there was just a certain level of focus this time around. Like, mm-hmm. I really, like, you know, obviously I had nerves, but there were good nerves. There were nerves that were kind of just like, hey, it's either do or die. You you have to get it on this try or, like, you know, your life is over. It's right. the way I treated it. Right. It's probably not the best way to treat going yeah. into scenarios <laughs> like that, but that's the way I treated it. And that's the, you know, what got me. I, I thought it felt like, you know, I was Tom Brady going into, like, a Super Bowl, mm. just, you know, eyes narrowed, looking at the prize, like, knowing that, like, hey, today's the day I'm taking it. Mm, that makes sense. What um what advice would you have out there for people in high pressure situations, such as not wanting to let their parents down, their wife, their husband, their girlfriend down? You know, what advice would you have out there to handle a high stakes situation? Don't think about the failures at all. Mm. Any energy that you take and give towards that, you know, thought is just like wasted imagination. Mm-hmm. Just only envision the outcome, only envision the mm. positive thing. Because guess what? At the end of the day, as long as you do the best you can, you, it, you're still out of your control. Right. So don't waste any of your time, your energy, your efforts on what could happen if I fail. Mm. Just only think about, hey, I'm going to succeed. I'm putting every last ounce of effort into it. And, you know, let the cards just fall where they lie. Right. Do you have any habits or rituals that, that you do just to radiate that positive energy in your life? Um, when I feel myself like going into like a negative mind state, um, I take a breath. Mm -hmm. I definitely take a breath because, you know, as positive as we are, Chris, you know, Mm -hmm. we're still human beings, right? We're still gonna, we're still gonna get into funks. We're still gonna like feel down on ourselves, look down on ourselves. You know, we're going to have moments of insecurities. Just take a deep breath, call somebody that, you know, can build you back up and, you know, just remember, just remember who you are and, you know, what kind of efforts, what kind of habits and, you know, what you bring to the table and like, just like I said, take a breath, call someone, get back to that positive state. What, as soon as you start to notice yourself slip, Mm. because far too often I would get into a negative mindset and it would carry on for a couple of days up to a week just because of one bad thing or one bad thought. And I wasn't taking the breath. I wasn't calling anybody to talk to talk about it with and you know when you're in when you're in that kind of you know crappy state you're going to make crappy decisions so it's best just to take a breath get it out of the way and you know talk about it with somebody Mm -hmm. anybody just talk about it Mm -hmm. and then you know figure out how you're going to get back to the you know positivity again Mm. yeah it's so true kind of vent out the negativity Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people and i struggle with this too you'll vent out the negative things that are happening and then you never take the next step of okay how am I going to flip from negative to positive? Exactly. So don't really hang up the negative side too much. Talk about it, get it off your chest, and then say, this is what I'm going to do to turn this into a positive situation. I mean, it's just like losing a game. There's people that, I mean, here's the thing. The difference between winners and losers is a loser will hit a wall, face a problem, and they'll put their hands up and quit. Mm. A winner will look at that wall, will look at that problem, grab their tool belt, and figure out, how to fix it. They will put every last ounce of effort into fixing it. Even if it doesn't work out, that's what a winner does. They don't say, they don't focus on the negatives. They focus on solutions on how they can solve Mm. this problem. And that's what, that's the difference between every winner and every loser that I know. Yeah. So kind of having more of a solution based mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Like not, not, not focus on, okay, well, here's a big problem you know, and this is just going to take all my headspace. Mm-hmm. Ignore the whole problem. Just focus on, okay, if I do this, this could happen and this could be a positive effect. You know, if I do this, you know, it could save time and like we can get to the next stage and, you know, 
kind of you know level the playing field on this. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So I'd like to switch over and, and really just have more of a Q and A session. Sure. Um, on real estate, obviously, which is your bread and butter, your passion with real estate is out of this world. But before we do that. What would you say kind of just final advice just from the mindset failure side of things that, that you can give everyone out there? Just remember, um, it's a very long game. Mm. It's a very long game. Don't worry about, you know, and metaphorically speaking, don't worry about winning the game on one play. Take it one step at a time, you know, and just remember, don't if you don't ever give up, you won't ever lose mm. at the end of the day. It could take you 10, 15, it could take you 30 years to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't ever give up on it, you'll eventually reach it. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. I just all goes back to that never give up attitude that we mentioned. It's literally earlier, just, right? you, you'll accomplish what you set out to accomplish if you just don't ever give up. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Thanks for all that value, by the way. That, yeah, that's no really awesome. Um, so let's see, with real estate, right? I'd like to just walk through some really Q&As that, you know, some questions that I definitely have that I'm sure a lot of the uh, listeners out there also have. Um, so what would you say, step one, right? Let's say step one of real estate, you want to have a property, where do you even begin? Because it's just such a big game. Well, um, it just depends on what you're looking for as far as if you're looking to do a long-term you know, you know, like a, a year lease, or if you're looking for a vacation rental, for a year lease, it all just comes down to numbers. You plug it into a spreadsheet. Say you, you know, you purchase a property for seventy thousand dollars. The rule of thumb that my dad would use to use is, hey, if I can make seven hundred dollars off of a seventy thousand dollar purchase, it mm. works. Okay. Um, my way of looking for properties that are, say, vacation rentals, mm-hmm. is I try to look at popular hotspots, like what's nearby. Is there a beach nearby? Is there some somewhere that you know people like to go and visit routinely in in a certain you know geographical area? And for me, I didn't buy this Park Circle property that I have now in the intent of Airbnb it. It kind of mm-hmm. happened on accident. I bought it for the sole purpose of it was a very affordable place to live. Park Circle is one of the most hopping neighborhoods in Charleston County. Um, and just the price, the price really worked. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew right away as soon as I saw it that I had to go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was buying it more on the purpose of living there for two years and then selling it and making a big profit. Mm-hmm. And then I accidentally stumbled upon this whole Airbnb thing because I was going on vacation to like California. Right. And I opened up nine days, just nine days. And I had $1,000 coming in from those nine days. And I was like, wow, that's enough to cover my expenses on the property and make a little extra money. And that's just nine days. Yeah. Why don't I try a whole month? Yeah. Little did I know that I had to find a place to live after that. <laughs> yep. So let's say first time homebuyers out there, such as myself, you know, I'm unfortunately renting right now. Yeah. What steps should I take or anyone out there? Maybe if they want to have a property in the next year, is there like a savings plan that you yeah, should do? Absolutely. Or, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a couple of things, and I actually talked to a kid yesterday that mm-hmm. you know, DM'd me on Instagram on how to do it. The first thing that you need, because you're probably not going to have $200,000 in liquid cash to buy your first home. Let's unless you're a trust real- fund kid. Yeah, unless you're a trust fund kid, hey, you know, no offense to them or anything like yeah. that. Because, you know, if you have it, you have it and you spend it. So, um, I would absolutely go get a line of credit. Go get a credit card. And the common misconception with credit cards is... Oh, well, I only have $400 in my account and this thing's a thousand bucks, but I can pay it off on the credit card. Don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing you can do. 
The things that I want you to do is just treat it like a debit card. Put your basic expenses on it. Gas, food, utilities, things like that. And, you know, have a predictable, have your predictable expenses on there. And as soon as you see something hit that credit card, you pay it immediately. Mm -hmm. Because I went from having no credit at all to going to like a 720 within like five months doing that strategy. And you can, you can get by with like a 680 credit score. You can get a good loan, but it won't be the best loan package that a 720 score will get you. So mm -hmm. my advice, if you're listening out there, if you don't have any credit, go work on getting a credit card and just doing that basic step. And you will have the credit that you need to purchase that you know first property. And mm -hmm. the second step is tally up your expenses. Figure mm -hmm. out what you need to spend money on like your basic expenses like electric you know food your car your car insurance things that like expenses that are not going to go away even if you tried you have to pay it tally those expenses down then in another column tally expenses that are just like for fun like eating out going out to bars going to football games you know going on vacation and then from that you know budget figure out what you can give up and how much you know money you can save liquid cash at the end of each month, say it be $500, say it be $1,000, whatever the amount is, and then tally up how much you you possibly need to get your first purchase. You wanna have, you know, you wanna have that cash on deck and you also wanna make sure you have a good emergency fund too, mm. because you don't wanna spend all your money on a purchase and then be sitting out on like a thousand bucks. So I would say save six months worth of your expenses and then also save enough to fund your first real estate deal. And in honesty, I only put $4,000 on that house. That wasn't much. It didn't take me a long time to save that up. The kicker was that I wanted to do renovations right away. So I lived with my parents, saved all that money, saved every last thing. I wasn't going out. I wasn't, you know, really doing any of the fun social things that, you know, most people in their 20s do. I was focused on saving my money and getting that property before anyone else could get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you just have a set amount that you want to save every month and you're hitting it every month, make it realistic. Don't make it so hard to reach that you're literally like sacrificing every single last thing. But yeah. there's things you could give up. Like you can give up going out to eat and you can give up going out to the bars. So true. And you could give up a football game or two. I promise you. It's not hard. Yeah. Because if you if you think the end game of purchasing this property, converting it into either a rental or an Airbnb. You're going to be getting all that money back just for the sacrifices you made for that year and a half to two years to save up. Right. Right. So, that Yeah, that's so true. And if you guys need a budget template, um, you can reach out to me. I have an awesome template that I made that really can put you on track to save 20 to 30%. Good man. Income. Good so man. You guys can reach out to chrischapmansc at gmail.com if you guys want that. Um, so with the uh, tallying up expenses... So you have, let's say, fast forward, you have, you mentioned six months worth of expenses yeah. for the emergency fund. Yeah. Say your expenses are like, you know, $2,000 a month. You yeah. want to have 12 grand set yep. aside just in case like the world fell apart, you lost yeah. your job, yep. you'd be able to stay afloat for six months. So let's fast forward. So you have, you know, what, what would you say like an average, I mean, it's going to be a crazy answer, but average kind of first home that people should look for price-wise. I like the 200000 in Underbark okay. because you're not exactly sacrificing quality of life and you still get a great property. I mean, anything under that is usually going to be in a rough area. Mm. Like you're either going to sacrifice having a rough house or having a rough area. 
And $200,000 is kind of that happy medium in most markets. Now, yep. say Los Angeles, you couldn't find anything there. But say, like, <laughs> even Charleston, like, there's great options for 200000 and under. Like, you look yep. at Westcott Plantation, that's a place where people like to raise their kids. Mm -hmm. And that would be a good long-term rental purchase. Like, if you, say, put 3% down on 200000 that's like six grand that you need to come up with, plus mm -hmm. your closing costs. If you have a good agent, they can get it covered for you. So, um, go ahead. So let's say you have, we're fast forward now, You've done you've done the diligence. You have six months or sorry, six months of expenses built up. You you find a two hundred thousand dollar home. Um, you have the three percent, the six percent. The was that? Uh, I mean, you could do three percent, or would you say like five? Or I usually like to put five. It's just whatever. Okay. What it's it's just keep in mind that the more you put down, the less your monthly payments going to be. Gotcha. So find that happy medium where you're comfortable making the payments each month, and that you're not like hemorrhaging all your cash. Gotcha. So let's say you have that money built up. You're like, okay, I'm going to get a $200,000 house. What's kind of the first step that you take of finding the property to purchase? Ask yourself what kind of quality of life you want. Do mm -hmm. you want something that's going to be more of something that is like close to the city that you know may not, may not be a desirable area, but is a great proximity, could be a really great vacation rental? Or do you want something that's for like, your wife, your kids, and like some, a quality neighborhood where you can raise a family. For me, my first purchase was not about that. My first purchase was just finding something that I could capitalize on quickly. Mm. And, um, you know, this purchase I'm doing now is more along the lines of, hey, you know, I want to have a family one day and I want to feel safe. Right, right. So with properties, let's say you find, you know, five, that's um, equivalent to your quality of life that you want. Yeah. What steps are you taking now to get financing for this property? You're going to want to contact. Um, I don't like going through my banks just because local lenders usually can beat the banks and they, the turnaround time is way quicker. So find a really good local lender, find like three that you can shop around with, figure out who offers the lowest closing costs and the best interest rates. And that's really what that's whoever offers both of those is going to be the one you're going to, want, going to want to go with. And make sure, you know, you talk to them about, hey, what's your turnaround time for most of your loans? Mm. And you want to make sure you have a good turnaround time because there's been times where if you don't hit that closing date and that's, and, you know, you're past your five-day business extension, the seller's not going to want to close. And you may lose that property and you mm. may lose, every, you know, your money that you put into an inspection and an appraisal. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you have a lender that can close it out in time. Mm. That makes sense. So right now we have go get a line of credit. Um, put your basic expenses on there. Obviously pay that off. Um, create a budget, tallying up your fixed and variable expenses. This will help you save for that down payment and the emergency Absolutely. fund. Um, then we have step three, ask yourself what quality of life you want. Um, step four is have that local lender. Usually look for the low closing costs and best interest rates. Mm -hmm. So you're there, you have the lender. Now, is there a step five in that, like that people should be aware about? I mean, basically the way that it works is you're, as soon as like, you know, you're want to buy a house, you go to that lender right away Okay. before you even start looking for houses because you don't want to put the buggy in front of the horse and mm. say like, you're shopping for a house, you find one you really like, but you don't have an approval letter. You can't purchase that house and somebody else swoops in and takes it. Guess what? You're yep. heartbroken. If you, yep. if you go ahead and take the steps with the lender before you go home shopping, then as soon as you find that house, you can write that offer right there on the spot. And it gives you, I mean, no, no seller is going to take you seriously without having a pre-approval letter from either a bank or a lender. Mm, okay. How long does that pre-approval letter last for? 
Um, it could it could be any certain amount of time. Okay. I mean, usually for me, most of them just last for ninety days because they want to lock the rate up for that long, just yeah. in case any contingencies happen. Um, and just keep in mind, you know, there's certain steps you can take to get approved for a better amount, raise your credit score to get a lower interest rate, things like that. I mean, there's certain steps that a lender will be able to tell you to do. And in a couple of months, if you, I mean, if you're not at that purchasing price that you want right away, ask the lender the steps that you need to take in order to get there. And mm-hmm. they will coach you. And really, it's usually simple fixes that you didn't even think of that will get you there in a couple of months. Mm. Okay. Okay. So those are definitely some really good steps. Um, to get your first property. Now, let's say there's people out there who want to get more into the rental side of things yeah. or the Airbnb route. Mm-hmm. What kind of steps and walkthroughs can you can you tell everyone about? So, right if now? you're looking to purchase an Airbnb property, but you're not going to um, ever live in it first, mm-hmm. you're going to need about twenty percent down to purchase it. Okay. So you kind of have to take my savings strategy and sort of. Accelerate it a little bit. If, yeah. you're, if you're not, if you're looking for a nice house to live in, the thing you can do is you can buy that property with you know three percent down, live in it for six months, and then convert it into an Airbnb mm. and not have to put that whole twenty percent down. That's kind of a loophole of getting an investment property without having to put. How 20% long did you say down. you had to live there? Six months. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's a good loophole. I, I was wondering about that because. You know, I eventually want to get into the rental game, but that's a really good loophole that. Absolutely. And keep in mind, you know, rates usually, I mean, right now they've gone down since I purchased that property. I just refinanced. I probably dropped my payment by a hundred bucks and saved about $25,000 over the life of paying off that loan. So keep in mind that like, if you ratify and, you know, close on a primary residence and you're not super stoked with how it would cash flow as an investment property, you can always refinance it so it cash flows a lot better. Mm. What kind of honing in that? How do you calculate really like your cash flow numbers for a rental or Airbnb? So you base you base for rental for long term rental. It's a lot more simple because it's always a fixed amount every month. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I put on a spreadsheet just every last expense you could possibly think of. Um, you know, you got principal of mortgage, you got interest, you may have mortgage insurance. You have, you know, home insurance on the house itself. You got taxes you have to pay. You calculate all that into a fixed number every month. And then you figure out what am I getting per month in rent? And you basically just, you know, take whatever you're paying to hold onto the property. And then, you know, well, you take whatever you're collecting in rent and minus it by your, you know, carrying costs of the property. Mm -hmm. And that's your cash flow every month. And you kind of, I usually calculate it on a year basis. So like at the end of the year, say I paid like, 10 grand to hold on to the property, but I'm getting, you know, $25,000 in rent money. Mm-hmm. You know, you're cash flowing 15 grand. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Do you ever have a nervousness of, uh, what if I don't have tenants this month or how do you get over that? Um, the way that I sort of, because, you know, laws can change at any time with Airbnb. Mm. The nice thing is that I, you know, I did some steps to grandfather myself in mm-hmm. so that, you know, they can't ever come down and crack down on me for Airbnb. But, the way that I would suggest going about purchasing a property, if you plan on Airbnb it, worst case scenario, make sure that it still cash flows on a one year lease. Mm-hmm. As long as it still cash flows on a one year lease, you will always be fine. Mm-hmm. And these are with tenants coming in. 
Yeah. Just signing a year-long rental there. Yeah, and, okay. that, and, and that, that would be your worst-case scenario. Yep. I mean, the cash flow is not as strong with a one-year lease, but keep in mind, it, it's a lot less to manage. Mm. Um, the whole Airbnb thing is, it's a little unpredictable, but usually the summer months are a little bit better than the others. Mm. But keep in mind, as long as you're still making more than you would with a long-term tenant, it still absolutely makes sense to Airbnb. Mm. That makes sense. Is there any barriers to entry that everyone should know about or make sure you uh if you're if you're planning on doing the airbnb thing make sure you just check with your local laws see if like make sure you're complying with them go get a business license go get a business license if you need it um i certainly went out and got one just so you know if you know they decide to enact any laws on airbnb i'll have my business license it's already grandfathered in this airbnb so i'm good yeah Okay, gotcha. Do you have a property manager that, that runs your Airbnb for you? or No, it's just since I only have one right now, it's yeah. very, very easy to manage. I just have somebody that I pay. Uh, and, you know, keep in mind, you charge your, your guests the cleaning fee mm-hmm. so you don't ever come out of pocket on your cash flow. Yeah. So basically, it, I, I pay my cleaners 30 bucks. I charge my, you know, guests $30 per, you know, booking. Yeah. Not say per day, it's just per booking. Like say they stay there three days, they just still have to pay me an extra 30 bucks to pay my cleaner. Mm. And I'll pay them, they go out there, they turn it over for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I So with risk and reward, I know there's like the constant battle of rent or buy, rent or buy, you know, there are thousands of articles on there. Yeah. And I know you walked through that on Facebook. Yep about a couple months ago and that really spoke with me would you mind kind of walking through the more of like a compare and comp- contrast like you did sure so say you're just staying some somewhere for maybe like six months to a year maybe two years mm-hmm. and you're not really sure you want to settle down there mm. i mean the nice thing about renting is that you're not tied into that property for good mm-hmm. or like you don't have to go out and sell it you're flexible the bad thing about renting is like literally every single dime you put into it goes down the toilet. You never see it again. Mm. You never get a return back on it. The thing about it is with purchasing properties, even if you're purchasing at a, at a peak of a market, over the 10-year cycle or over each market cycle, we always hit a new high. So even if, say, you bought a property one year, the next year the market crashes, if you can still cash flow with a long-term tenant, I would just just hold on to it mm-hmm. because you're still going to make a little bit of money each month. You still have something that's paying for itself and building your net worth. And over that 10 year cycle, you're going to hit a new high sales price and you'll be able to sell it and make money. Mm. That's what I would suggest for people over getting over their fear of buying or versus renting. But if you're not tied into an area, if you're not sold that you're going to be living there for longer than a year, don't go buy it. Don't go out and buy a property unless like it's a good investment property that would cash flow, you know, as a rental, even if you left and he didn't, yeah. it wasn't going to be a big headache. Yeah. Um, if you want to stay in a community and build your life around it, go out and buy real estate immediately. Mm. And I encourage people even at any point in the market, you should be buying real estate because there's always going to be opportunities, no matter what stage the, in the market we are in. Mm-hmm. I mean, homes get sold every single day. Deals happen every day. You want to be on the, you want to be on the end of, you know, catching that deal. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, you know, so the whole talk of like recession and everything, I get people's fears about that. We all grew up kind of like watching our parents struggle through the 07, 08, you know, crash. Mm. This time around, it's residentially driven and the mortgage companies, you know, they're getting their money back because 
the majority of these properties that people are purchasing are roofs that are over their head. So they're more inclined to pay for it. What I saw in 07 and 08 is people were like putting like 1% down on like a beachfront property that they weren't even living in. And when the banks weren't getting their money back, they didn't really care because they weren't living there. It didn't matter to them. They weren't going homeless. They were just had to claim bankruptcy. Mm. So that's the difference between why the market crashed last time and why the market we're in now is extremely healthy is because mm -hmm. they put more rules into place. Like not like it's, it's so it's, it's, it's not nearly as easy to be able to go out and purchase a home as it was in 07, 08. All you had to do is walk into a bank and say, Oh, I make this much. I don't need to prove it to you guys. I'm just telling you I make this much. And they'd hand you a mortgage for a million dollar property. Absurd. And then p banks weren't getting their money. Banks weren't getting their money back. And if they're not getting their money back, there's no money to loan to other people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. So for my example, you know, I'm in Charlotte and I really only want to stay there for like four or five years. Do mm -hmm. you suggest getting a property and then cashing out on it real quick or kind of still going the What I would out? suggest is find a property that you could live in and build equity mm. because a five years is still a long time. Right. Find a property that you 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 and your, your girlfriend, your... Um, girlfriend Jacqueline feel comfortable moving into and staying there for five years and then run the numbers on it before you purchase it, run the numbers on what the rents are going for because rents are going to continue to climb no matter what, mm. because more the, the population grows every day and the spots decrease because more people are claiming them. Yeah. So as long as you can cash flow, like as long as what you're paying per month on this property is less than what you could get in rent, you should definitely go out and buy that property because rents just have, are, are not going to go down. Right. They're just going to keep going And up. over a five-year span, first of all, the property value is going to go up. Second of all, if you wanted to just up and move, you have a cash flow castle that's you know putting residual income back into your account every month mm -hmm. and building your net worth. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. So what final advice would you have out there for, you know, current real estate investors or aspiring real estate investors like myself that, that we can end on? Um, just make sure you go through that. Make, make sure you know your numbers. Make okay. sure that the numbers that you get are the true numbers mm. and be patient with your purchase. Don't go out and just rush and go buy the first shiny thing you see. It took me almost a year to buy my first property. Wow. I was very patient. I went into escrow a couple of times, saw some things I didn't like on an inspection report and would back out. Just because, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to lose a ta tiny bit of money instead of, you know, being stuck with something that wasn't going to make me money. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to be patient and like look for that perfect property because like I said, deals happen every day. And as long as you're prepared, you got your pre-approval letter, you're out there looking actively, that deal's going to drop right into your lap. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. Where can everyone connect with you if they have any more questions? Um, connect with me on Facebook. It's just okay. my full name, Parker Robert LeClaire. I'm, I'm most active on there. You can also find me on Instagram. I believe my handle is just my full name. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Chris will leave it in the uh, yeah, podcast video as well. So the best way to connect to me is either by, if you want to ever even call me, I'll leave my personal cell here. Mm -hmm. It's 843-814-0710. I always pick up the phone. I'm always in front of it. The three best ways is just by a phone call or text. 
by Facebook or by Instagram. Mm, okay, awesome. Well, thanks again for uh, sitting down with me. This is awesome. Um, you really you know, shared a lot of your value, and I'm sure everyone got a lot from it. So sure. thank you again. Um, and, and listeners out there, thanks again for tuning in to uh, this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Parker really brought the heat today. Um, just to reiterate from the mindset side of things, he's gone through some failures, and I firmly believe how he got out of that was always just having that attitude of never give up. So I want to encourage everyone out there to keep that attitude, whatever they're doing in their daily lives. And then from a real estate side of things, once again, going through those steps, go get a line of credit, tally up your expenses, make sure to monitor those on a budget, ask yourself what quality of life you want, find a local lender. And then lastly, just have patience in your real estate investing. And once again, thank you guys for tuning in. As we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.